Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Tuesday, June the 12th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we bunk up with the two rookie tight ends and take a note from veteran tight end A.J. Derby. Also, revisit my column about manufacturing scoring opportunities down in the red zone, as well as a blurb on Mike Pouncey and some more national media nonsense. But first, I would like to ask you guys to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and a review once you are there. As you guys know, the iTunes charts go off of those ratings and reviews. So the more you give us, the more we get out to more Dolphins and the show continues to grow and go on from here. Give me a follow on Twitter at WinkfulNFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins. And of course, LockdownDolphins.com. We'll be discussing some of the content on there on today's podcast, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Again, I am Travis Wingfield, your go-to source for all things Dolphins every single day. Let's go ahead and kick this bad boy off. That's another Miami Dolphins So there was a practice on Monday, but literally nobody was talking about it on Twitter. None of the beat writers, Joe Shad, Armando Salguero, these guys all appear to be off the grid for the time being. I haven't seen Salguero tweet in several days. Jason Leischer of the Palm Beach Post, he was there, though. He was tweeting a couple of things out throughout the course of the media availability. And one of the guys that was available during the media availability was tight end AJ Derby. And they asked him a lot of questions about Ryan Tannehill and working out in the offseason and how he can kind of help himself get ahead of these rookie tight ends that we're going to talk about here in a second in terms of the mental aspect of the game and just being further along with the terminology of the playbook and getting everything down. You guys know that Derby was here last year towards the end of the year, and they even tried to force him some footballs in that Kansas City game. I've spoken about it before. It looked like it was kind of a futile effort going up against some cornerbacks even that he could not beat out in one-on-one situations. But they asked him a question about his offseason program, and he said that he stayed in Jupiter for the offseason program and that him and Ryan Tannehill had been throwing all offseason together. Every single time Ryan Tannehill texted him asking him if he wanted to come out and help him throw, he was there and he did it. The media asked him how many times. He goes, I don't know. I can show you my phone and show you all the calls and texts that I have. So... It just flies in the face of that comment that made that Jarvis Landry made last week that the Dolphins quarterbacks never wanted to work out while he was in Miami. So it's good to hear the teammates of Ryan Tannehill coming to his defense and just basically calling Jarvis Landry a liar, which he is, and it's too bad that he's burned the bridges the way that he has for the Miami Dolphins because he was a big-time fan favorite for this team. And we've been seeing a lot of his, uh, his following. I, I guess I'll just use the term hashtag Landry gang gang. Even some of those guys are turning on him a little bit because of some of the things he said. So it's too bad to see that because he was obviously a big-time draft pick for the Miami Dolphins and a big-time player for us. But here we are, and he has completely burnt all bridges by saying things that are not true and fabricating things about the current Miami Dolphins players, which is where our allegiances lie. But moving on from AJ Derby, there was a really cool article written by Barry Jackson today talking about the two rookie tight ends, of course, Durham Smythe from Notre Dame and Mike Gusecki from Penn State, and how they are bunking up at their hotel. They 
were room their roommates at the hotel they're staying at throughout the course of a four week OTA program. So a voluntary thing for rookies really isn't voluntary. As you guys know, the one week last week was mandatory. This week concludes the voluntary portion. There were three voluntary portions throughout the course of the last month. And this concludes the entire OTA session as players won't come back until July, late July, for training camp. And this piece by Barry Jackson talks about how Mike Gusecki asked to borrow a whiteboard from the Dolphins facility and brought it to the hotel room. So when they got done with practice and got done with all of their meetings and everything that goes on during OTAs, they would go into their hotel room and quiz each other on certain things about the offense. And Mike Gusecki talked a lot about playing at the right speed. And that's kind of one of the things that rookies and players that are early on in their careers, they have to make an adjustment to is getting caught up to the speed of the game. And if you can't play fast, you just can't play. If you're thinking about anything, if you're worried about technique, if you're worried about how many steps to get to a landmark, if you're worried about which read and sight adjustment you have to make on a certain route, you're not going to play well. You're going to find yourself out of the league very quickly. And that's why so many talented guys that refuse to get themselves into the playbook wind up busting. And we ask ourselves, why is this guy not playing like he was in college? when a lot of those guys basically could just dominate on physical prowess alone. So it's cool to hear that Mike Gusecki and Durham Smythe are doing this together. Smythe said that the playbook that Adam Gase has is about double the size of what he had at Notre Dame, but they go back and forth every day, trading places, working at the whiteboard, drawing up plays, and quizzing each other on some of the terminology and stuff that goes on there. So cool to hear them working very hard at that. Gusecki also mentioned he doesn't really worry about the depth chart too much, just because this time of year, it's all about trying to get himself up to playing at the level that he wants to play at and once he does that he knows he'll be out there running with the one so good to hear that Durham Smythe again we heard the coaches talk about that he was specifically a wide tight end one of the guys that plays in line and since they haven't really done a lot of stuff with or they haven't done anything with pads so far throughout the course of the spring sessions here that he hasn't gotten a chance to find out how quickly he'll be able to contribute in the NFL game because as he says himself his specialty is in the blocking game and without pads they cannot really fully simulate what a block would look like in an NFL game. So they're working hard. They're getting there. I think that those two guys have a lot of, should have a lot of impact on what this team will ultimately be on offense. If they get acclimated quickly, you can see this offense really take off. If not, they'll probably have to go another direction entirely and really rely on all these new wide receivers they have, which could have been the plan from the beginning when you consider that Danny Amendola is here on a two-year deal. Devontae Parker is here this year. He has the fifth-year option next year. So maybe in two years, if both those guys are gone, that's when you start to see Gasicki and Smythe get more and more integrated into the offense. Might not happen as soon as we all had hoped it would, but nonetheless, they have talented tight ends, and they just have to groom them and develop them within the program. All right, guys, we have a lot more to get to on the show, including how the Dolphins will replace Jarvis Landry's touchdown production in 2018. We'll do that next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. Rolling on on a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It is June 12th. We are talking about the final week of OTAs, as well as an article that I published on Monday morning talking about replacing the touchdown production of Jarvis Landry and how it was in the scheme that that was able that will be able to happen going forward. And I got a chance to watch some other teams tape and, and go over the All-22 of some of the best wide receivers in the game because I was trying to find a way to, to demonstrate how the best wide receivers find ways to make touchdowns or to score points down in the red zone, get themselves open and make plays down in that very, very difficult area of the field to contend with. And it was kind of a treat, man, because I watched so much Dolphins film, as you guys know. I've seen every game of the past several years over and over and over again, both on the All-22 and on the broadcast versions. And there are different 
pros and cons to each of those two different versions of the game. So I like to watch both of them and really digest what happened throughout the course of a 60 minutes on each and every Sunday throughout the course of the year. But this column was talking about how Jarvis Landry had a spike in his touchdown total from 2000. And 17 compared to 2016, 15, and 14, the first three years of his career, where he was a five touchdown, four touchdown, five touchdown guy. So basically one of those middling type of touchdown makers in the in the NFL, wasn't a guy that's going to post huge numbers in that department. Then last year he scores nine touchdowns, which was tied for fourth with four other guys. So technically the fourth through eighth in terms of overall touchdown production. And you go back and you look at what Adam Gaze does with the offense. And the reason I wrote this article was talking about what Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, and the best receivers in the league can do in, in terms of getting themselves open down in the red zone. And there's a difference between scheming guys open and players making plays based off talent alone. That was the purpose of the article. And each gif I have in here of all these guys making these plays is just a phenomenal athletic, physical feat that they're achieving on each of these plays. Antonio Brown with quickness, getting off of his jam right away, getting into an open area of the field, the way he presses the toes of the, of the defender and gets in and out with a two-way go, it's, he is so much fun to watch. I cannot recommend watching Antonio Brown clips as much as you possibly can. Julio Jones with the physical dominance. I talked about how he has the speed to burn and all that stuff. When he's 6'3", 220, he can just go ahead and snatch that football in coverage in 50-50 situations. And a lot of these guys, what they'll do, is they'll put this elite receiver to the boundary, which if you guys don't know what the boundary is, if the ball is on the right hash mark, the play to the right is the boundary. The play to the left is the field side where the open field is. So the more area is field, the shorter area is the boundary. And the boundary, the reason I always use these phrases is because the boundary tends to have less action and less activity over there. So if you put a bigger body over there like Julio Jones or Devontae Parker runs that position a lot in this offense, that's a good opportunity for fades, for slants. If you can get a way to get in that two-way go. A two-way go is when you have the defensive back in front of you and you have the opportunity to do an inside or outside release because a lot of offenses, most offensive calls require a certain receiver to release to the inside or the outside, not always a two-way go, which is what happens in the slot, which is why playing the slot is so difficult. So now that I've schooled you guys up on that a little bit, the, the Falcons love doing this with Julio Jones where they'll throw the ball to him on the boundary on a fade or a slant there and he just goes up and snatches it. And you don't have to worry about scheming things open and displacing guys with other routes and, and creating opportunities for guys to get open because these guys are so good they can just make the play on their own. Odell Beckham, there's a fantastic clip on there of Odell Beckham where he's to the boundary side and the running back is set to the boundary side too which brings a linebacker over to his direction which forces... It makes that inside window not really there. So the defensive back knows that Beckham is going to the perimeter, to the back pylon, and he still can't defend him. That's what an elite wide receiver does. Now, I don't want I don't want to trash on Jarvis Landry. He's a, not a Dolphin anymore. This is the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. We're talking about the Miami Dolphins. But I wanted to create a visual image for you guys to be able to see that his touchdowns were nothing that someone else couldn't have done. That might be a slight at Jarvis Landry. There are some, and I wrote it in there, there are some where he makes plays that absolutely you can attribute that to Jarvis Landry making a play for a touchdown, but it only happens twice or three times a year, which is why for the most part in the past parts of his career, he was a four to five touchdown a year type of guy. He's not the kind of guy that will make plays on his own and make a play caller look good just by make, <laughs> drawing up a very simple play and making it work that way. So a lot of Jarvis Landry's touchdowns are where he works out 
of a stack and they'll have a clear out route or they'll have a flat route with guys blocking out in front of them with motion deception. The second touchdown of the year to Jarvis Landry is a little throwback pass on a motion fake back swing route to Jarvis Landry coming back to the boundary side of the field. And the reason it works is because of the motion pre-snap that displaces the man coverage and Kenny Stills runs a perfect clear out route with a hundred percent throttle pedal to the floor, just all the way gas, making sure that he's doing his job to free up the other guys on the offense. And Landry gets a walk-in touchdown because of it. A couple more blown coverages with pass or with play action passing game where they will fake the run to a certain side of the field. And they do this because they have the numbers advantage and the running game in this offense is simple. If they have the numbers advantage, AKA enough guys to block how many defenders there are in the box, they'll run the ball. If not, they'll check to a pass. It is that simple guys. Football is not always rocket science. So with Landry in these cases, they like to find situations where they can get him in lined up tight next to the line of scrimmage called a nasty split when you're t- lined up right next to the tackle. And a lot of times you can run play action boot off of this. You can run a play action fake boot where the quarterback stretches it out and then stays to that same side of the field. And because of this and Landry's ability to block inside, he can get freed up beyond the secondary there because there's no safety help and he just gets loose in the secondary. So most of his touchdowns come in this way. And if you guys want to see what I'm talking about, I'm looking over the videos right now. It's on LockedOnDolphins.com. The title is It's In The scheme replacing Jarvis Landry's touchdown production and then I also went back and looked over some Albert Wilson Danny Amendola even a pass to Kenyon Drake and how he can work there and Damian Williams and how Kalen Balazs can fill in for that role and then I put some Wes Welker in there and I even showed you a video of Devontae Parker making a fantastic catch on a good route from the slot on a fade pattern that is something we could look forward to for him this year in 2018 so tons of stuff in that column guys please go ahead and check that out and see how the Dolphins will replace his production as a team collective unit rather than just one player. It's going to be a mix of Wilson, Amendola, Parker, Drake, Bala. All these guys are going to have a say in what happens there. And then real quick, another article that I posted on Sunday was something that was just kind of rubbing me the wrong way. I read another article about how Mike Pouncey's loss was this big, important thing that happened to the Miami Dolphins over the course of the offseason. And I posted some stats talking about Mike Pouncey's overall impact on the game. And if you guys recall back to the Atlanta Falcons game that I just referenced earlier, he went out of that game at halftime and the Dolphins were being shut out in the first half with less than 100 yards. He goes out, Jake Brendel comes in and he, the Dolphins offense proceeds to put up 240 yards and scores 20 points. The Dolphins make a big comeback win. In Mike Pouncey's career, he has missed a lot of games. You guys know about that. But since he started missing a lot of games in 20, in 2013, the Dolphins are 27-33 and 33 with him in the lineup at center. Of course, that has a 4 50 winning percentage without him, not quite big of a sample size, but 11 and 9, a 555 winning percentage. So his overall effectiveness can be debated one way or the other. But I also just rubs me the wrong way that he gets this rap for being an okay guy after the entire Free Hernandez hat thing and after the Jonathan Martin situation where Richie Incognito was kind of made to be a scapegoat there. But Mike Pouncey was just as big a part of that. And you can you can point to race whatever you want to, but even on the picture that Jonathan Martin, who is a very sick man, needs to get the help that he needs, and I hope he does find that help. That picture he posted of the gun with the Twitter handles, Mike Pouncey was in there, and Mike Pouncey is also an African-American. So I don't know if it's race. I don't know what it is. I just think Mike Pouncey is a bad guy, and he wasn't that much better of a football player at least the last couple of years. So the fact that he is being 
lauded as this savior of the franchise or a guy that really is going to hurt the Dolphins and help the Chargers. It just really rubs me the wrong way. And I wanted to make a point about that and wrote about it on LockdownDolphins.com. So both of those articles are up there right now. You guys can check that out. We have one segment to go here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am Travis Wingfield on Twitter at WingfieldNFL at LockdownFins. Plowing ahead here on the final segment of the Tuesday, June the 12th, Locked on Dolphins podcast. And I feel like this next segment might need its own music because at this point we're starting to get into a regular occurrence for the national media making fools of themselves and saying stuff that's just not accurate. And I don't know if I want to call this national media because this is a season preview magazine that my fiance picked up for me the other day. And I love the season preview magazines. She knows that I always get the pro football weekly ones every single year. Not because I'm trying to learn stuff about this team or other teams. It's just nice to get a refresher over what happened over the offseason. And reading it cover to cover has always helped me just remember who is where after the offseason happens. So I always get into those magazines. I love it. I go out in the hammock. I drink a beer. And I read my magazines every single summer. But this year she bought me one from Street and Smith's Football, something I had never heard of until this. But the I was kind of sold originally because they had the projected lineups in here with Jesse Davis at right guard. And I thought, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. But then I get into the running back portion of it, and they're talking about Frank Gore. And let's just go ahead and skip forward to the Kenyon Drake part. And this is talking about Kenyon Drake. Here's the sentence. He'll serve as the backup and an insurance policy against Gore finally breaking down. So they think that Kenyon Drake is the backup, and they think that the Dolphins are relying on Frank Gore because in this statement on the bottom line, the final blurb on the Miami Dolphins here, Tannenbaum and Gaze overhauled the roster by unloading their best players on offense and defense, Landry and Sue. It's difficult to see improvement for 6-10, and 10, especially with the roster that got older with all the comings and goings. The Dolphins will be relying a lot on Gore and Wake, two guys that have already celebrated their 35th birthdays. So this publication is insisting that Frank Gore was the bell of our offseason ball and is the guy the offense is going to be based around. I just can't fathom where these guys get these ideas enough to write it into a major publication and then to put it in a grocery store, which is where she found it. It just blows my mind that it could be so bad. But speaking about the running backs, there's a cool video up on Miami Dolphins right now on their Twitter and Facebook page showing Kenyon Drake working with Kalen Balaj after practice and I thought it was going to be Frank Gore and I first pulled the video up because it would show Balazs catching passes and Drake was just kind of talking over some things with him. So it looks like maybe he has turned a corner in terms of maturity in his career, which coincides with a tweet that he sent out, I want to say on Friday, that mentioned that there are so many things on Twitter he wants to reply to, but he can't because he's all grown up now with an upside down smiley face. So he's having fun with it, but he's also doing the right things. So very, very cool to see that. I think this backfield is going to be a lot of fun to watch with this integration of Frank Gore and Kalen Balaj going along with our workhorse, our starting running back, our star of our offense, Kenyon Drake. So that's it for most of the podcast. I have one more thing I want to mention here. We have another Dolphins fan entering the world today. I'm going to be an uncle once more as Madison Carol Wingfield coming into the world today at some point. They're hoping that she will be born today. We're not quite sure yet. Uh, Mama and and my my brother are both doing very well, so I'm heading down there tonight to see my brother and the whole family after I record this. So another Dolphins fan into the world, Madison Carol Wingfield, welcome on in to the family and to the Dolphins family as well. But that'll put a bow on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Guys, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review once you are there. And of course, check out another Locked On Sports family of podcasts 
for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins and follow our flagship show at Lockdown NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out LockdownDolphins.com, the number one rated blog in the Lockdown Network. You guys have a terrific rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Back to the streets where the kids are Love was around the corner from you. You paid air like an old time jive. Girl, I swear I've never seen you look so alive.